Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How are you doing? Okay. I'm going to talk to you all over here. You guys are awake. Okay. So I love that I got to speak to the women over the weekend. Any women that were at, she is. Wave your hands at me. Okay, awesome. But my, but my home dynamic is decidedly male. I am the mother of four men, the grandmother to two men. And so I want to do something at the very beginning of this service. Can I get all the men to stand up real quick? Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid. I love men. I love men. Don't be afraid. Okay. You know, our culture is trying to put labels on people to disqualify them, to diminish them. And I just want to celebrate that you are men of God here in this house, leaning in to worship. I want you to understand that God created man as a reflection of his glory. And I break the labels of toxic masculinity. I break the attack of the enemy that would strip you of your manliness. I come against that Jezebel spirit that is trying to emasculate the men. And we thank you that you are strong men in the house of God in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So I just want to celebrate the guys for a moment. So my husband is uh, amazing. He is a little bit of an athlete. He plays tennis and golf. And because I am the mother of four sons, I have to hunt, ski, surf, and ride motorcycles. I had a Ninja motorcycle. Possibly was not my best purchase or wisest purchase. But when I was taking motorcycle lessons, they told you that if you look down, you're going to go down. They tell you that wherever you look, is where you're going to land. And I believe that we need to be a people right now who need to have our eyes set on where we are headed, not on where we have been, not where we are right now. And everything in our culture is trying to intimidate you and shut you down. So I have a promise of God for you so that you can know how you need to behave in this crazy day and time. Because how many of you know this world is crazy right now? And every time I think it's not gonna get crazier, it gets crazier. Okay, Matthew 10, 26 to 28. Don't worry, you guys do not have it. Now the media people are scrambling. Okay, don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There is nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body and soul in his hands. The enemy does not want you to realize who you are. I love that we were singing about one word from God. Do you understand that Jesus was the word? He was the one word made flesh. He was, he was united with the father. And do you know that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me and I do what? I give it to you. And we need to actually begin to speak God's word. You know, you look at this account in the book of Genesis of the Tower of Babel. And God had told the people, scatter, fill the earth, increase, multiply. And they're like, no, no, let's, let's build a high rise to the sky. Let's just go ahead and do a condominium straight up. And God actually said, because they were all in one accord and in one place, that nothing would be impossible to them. There is something that is so powerful when we are all saying the same thing. Now, we all have different languages, but we all can unite on the word of God. God will watch over his word to perform it. And we are not in a season where God is saying, just you need to scatter. He's saying it's the time to gather as a people of God and be united in purpose, united in voice, to say the same thing rather than be divided. You know, I am, I am a half Sicilian, and my husband is 75% Italian, and there is a difference. Italians are known for feeding people. Sicilians are known for killing people. So we have a little bit of a different uh, parenting style, lifestyle, intensity style in our household. It's always massive. It's always big. But I also believe that we were woven 
for this moment. And too many people believe they can be heroes without a battle. One of my favorite quotes is by A.W. Tozier, and this is what it says. It says, we can be, in our day, what the heroes of faith were in their day. But remember, at the time, they didn't know they were heroes. Every single moment, every single choice, every single action that you and I take, we can look back at and see it woven into the plan of God. But we have to be a people who begin to align ourselves with God's purpose. God loves people. God loves truth. God loves restoration. And we have a broken world out there that is going to the, the biggest extremes possible to heal themselves. And we in the church haven't even figured out how to get along. So we're going to have to all start focusing on what is our aim. And our aim is to be more like Jesus. Everything in this culture right now is trying to distract you from who you really are. The enemy has schemes that he has done over and over and over again through the ages because it works. First of all, he'll distract you, make you look at what everybody else is doing, get you to be looking here, looking there, instead of looking into the mirror of God's word. That is the word of God that transforms us. So he doesn't want you to look in the mirror of God's word and actually begin to reflect what God says about you. And if you actually have the audacity to stop being distracted and say, well, maybe I am a hero unaware, he'll immediately begin to diminish you. He'll begin to say, who do you think you are? Well, it's not about who I am. It's about who he is. And we need to understand that our identity is woven in Christ. So he diminishes, he distracts, and then he divides. Oh, he loves to divide because houses that are divided, homes that are divided, Christian religion that is divided, fall. He understands that if he can divide, we will actually attack one another. And if division and distraction and diminishing doesn't work, he goes for the fourth one. He destroys. And I don't know what it's going to take for the church of Jesus Christ to wake up and see that there is a bigger thing in play right now. That there is a war between life and light and death and darkness, and we are hand chosen for this moment. And too many people think that they could be a hero without a battle. I look back at the heroes of faith in the Hebrews 11, I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be so cool to be them? But see, they didn't know that they were them back then. And people are going to look back at our day, and they're going to look and say, what did they do with their day and their time? And I want us to live it well. I'm from the real Indiana. I'm from West Lafayette, Indiana. I was like, what? There's an Indiana, Pennsylvania? Why would you guys borrow from that state? It's just a bunch of cornfields, and it's flat. You guys are so much prettier than Indiana. I'm like, why? So I get it uh, that Midwest people, um, I'm kind of just putting you in there because you're close to Ohio. Uh, Midwest people are people of solid convictions, solid, just, you just are salt of the earth, strong people. My husband and I used to say Midwest morals, the Midwest morals, just those are our people. And so I feel like I am in the company of friends today. So I'm going to talk to you like a Sicilian godmother. I'm going to talk to you in a way that may be strong because I know there is more to you than maybe even you know there is to you, but you're going to have to focus. Zig Ziglar said, I don't care how much power brilliance or energy, you know, I'm also say or money you have, if you don't harness it and focus it on a specific target and hold it there, you're never going to accomplish as much as your ability warrants. Focus multiplies every energy, every talent, every capability that we have on our life. And that is one of the reasons why the enemy is trying to distract us. So what is our focus? Hebrews 12, 2 says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Well, first of all, he would never be distracted. He would never be distracted. And he was so focused. He began and he finished. I'm 61, which means I've seen a lot of people begin but not finish. And we need to be a people that begin, maybe stupid, 
but finish well. Because it's not how we begin, it's how we finish. Jesus is our pattern. We study how he did it. We don't go around making comments about how everybody else isn't doing it. He is our pattern. We don't persecute others because they're not like following Jesus the way we think they should follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. You know, I'm the mom of four boys, and my oldest son believed he was the defender of justice and truth in our household. So he would come and tattle to, all, to me about all the other boys, like they're not doing this enough, and they're not doing that enough. And I would always look at him and say, Addison, who are you in charge of? And he would stomp his foot and say, myself. He hated that answer because it's so much easier to be in charge of other people than be in charge of ourselves. We got to focus on Jesus. He is our pattern. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Right now, I feel like the church is walking through a dark tunnel and there's graffiti on the wall. And too many people are stopping and reading the graffiti on the wall. When God is saying, I want a people who will prophesy themselves out into the other side. See, we are a prophetic people by the function of the time of our birth. And what we do is we don't echo problems. We declare answers. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have that ability to stand in the gap and declare heaven's answer to the craziness of this world. And said he could put up with anything in the, on the way. Well, it said that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he is there in the place of honor right alongside of God. But it is really hard to become more like Jesus when we spend more time looking at everybody else. It is really hard to become more like Jesus when we are entertained and distracted by our culture. It is really hard to become more like Jesus when everything around us is asking us to choose sides. Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine? Everything in our culture is binary. But when I look at the kingdom of God, it's interesting to me. At the battle of Jericho, God sends an angel and Joshua comes up to him. He's having a big battle moment. He's like, whose side are you on? And what does he say? He said, I'm not on anyone's side. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. See, God will not choose sides because he's above all of it. And there is a kingdom and then there is our culture. And God is saying, come on, people, align yourself with my kingdom. My kingdom. The kingdom is not Republican. And the kingdom is not Democrat. The kingdom is a completely countercultural dynamic where you bless those that curse you. Do good to those who have despitefully used and abused you. We are supernatural people living in a crazy time. And we better start acting like it. He could put up with anything and he's in a place of honor. Listen, we're not going to have honor here. We're not going to have honor here. But guess what? We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And we speak from that place of authority. And so I just want to stir you up that you have authority, that you can pray, that you can open your mouth and sing. And when you open your mouth and sing, guess what happens? Your heart opens up. I know sometimes it's hard to sing. And sometimes we got to be like David and say, soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. Anytime we put our hope in an election, anytime we put our hope in a person, anytime we put our hope in anything outside of God, we get downcast because people will disappoint us. But God will never disappoint us. We need to understand where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed. Conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you know there are a lot of things in our culture that sound right but feel wrong? You're like, that, that, sounds, that sounds right, but I don't know. Somewhere here, that just 
something feels off. Do you know what I'm talking about? See, that's discernment. That's discernment. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, that in my head, I hear what they're saying. But in my spirit, I feel like "Mm -mm, something's, something's not right. Well, when I read the word of God, it rightly divides. And we need to read the word of God more than we read the words of people. We need to read the word of God until it reads us. You guys, I just came through menopause. Menopause is crazy. There is a crazy woman living in your head. She says things like punch your husband in the face. She says start yelling on the airplane, throw a fit in Walmart. She is crazy. And I had to say, no, crazy woman of menopause, you're not going to take me emotional hostage because I know feelings will lie to me. Do you know your feelings will lie to you? Do you know you can feel something really strong and then find out you were completely wrong? So I said, no, I'm going to have to read my Bible more during menopause than I did at any other time because i got to renew this crazy woman. She's not going to take over my world. Renew your mind requires intent. But what the culture offers you is entertainment. And entertainment will dull you, it will distract you, it will actually diminish your ability to rightly divide. Rightly divide. Another thing about entertainment, you will never have authority over the things you choose to be entertained by. You will never have authority. If you laugh at it, if you partake in it, it's really hard to have authority over it. Do you know that my husband and I have an app And because of the generosity of our partners, we've been able to give that app away free of charge in 111 languages. We have so many courses on there. We have courses about being a mom of men. We have courses on finding your calling. We have courses on what it means to be a saint. We have courses on parenting, marital counseling, everything that you could ever imagine. But do you know the number one thing that is searched on our app is how to get free from pornography? Number one thing. During the season of COVID, pornography use by men and women has risen to epidemic levels. And I'm thankful that we have that on our app. And of course, we don't know who the people are. We just can see the the analytics on it. But that is not how we should be spending our time. Pornography is something that will rape your mind. And it will shame you. Entices, then it shames. It becomes a cycle of constant abusing your mind. It will steal from you. It's a snake. I live in Colorado. Well, I, until two weeks ago, up until two weeks ago, I lived in Colorado. My boys always leave the door open. And we had a sliding glass door downstairs that they would just go downstairs, play ping pong, sweat, and open the door. And we have snakes in our backyard. And I was like, guys, close the sliding glass door. And I tend to write at night. And so in my mind, I would get myself all worked up that maybe there was a snake that was coming into my house because it's cold in Colorado and they like to be warm. And so I I just went ahead and said, okay, if a snake comes, I'm going to have to kill it. I won't have time to run upstairs because snakes run. They they hide, and so I'm going to get a machete, and I'm putting a machete on top of my desk hutch so my grandkids can't see it and, you know, cut off their fingers, but I was like, I'm going to have to have a machete on top of the hutch because if a snake comes into my house, I'm going to have to kill it. If I see it, I'm going to have to kill it. Why? Because people I love are in my house, and I'm just going to tell you this right now. Certain things that you are maybe entertaining yourself with will act like snakes. They will not stay with you. They will go into other areas of your house. And you need to get the sword of the spirit and cut that thing's head off. You can't let your kids be entertained by things. That, you know, like, okay, 100% honesty with you. I live with all men. I was so excited when the crown came out. I was like, I can watch Queen Elizabeth. Nobody watched it with me. I would take my iPad, maybe you know, like go into my bedroom, and I'm watching Queen Elizabeth. We were becoming such great friends, Queen Elizabeth and I, until second season. And second season, I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm like, what in the world just happened? No warning, no warning, just there. I close it really quick, hoping it's gone, open it. But what is still going on? I was like, Elizabeth, I'm sorry. 
sorry, I can't be your friend anymore. I cannot allow that to come into my house. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. Why? Because I am anointed to set captives free, not be entertained by what puts people in captivity. And you are anointed to do the exact same thing. Ministry is for the perfecting of the saints, for the saints to do the work of the ministry. It is not about you coming and watching someone do the work of the ministry. It is about you being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And so I'm here to let you know there are people hurting out there. Because if that's happening in the church, how much more is it happening in the world? And it is destroying young men. It is destroying young women. It is destroying marriages. And we need to be able to go out there and not shame people, but set them free. So we've got to be able to test and discern. Renewing your mind requires focus, but it is worth it. First Thessalonians says, it is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much. Can we just, can we just settle that? Can we just settle that the one who sent his only begotten son loves you? And it's, it's amazing. See, I, I've been married uh, this month. We celebrated 39 years. Okay. 39 years. I love my husband. I actually love him more now than when we got married. But I am not love for my husband. See, I'm not love. God is love. He is love. That's who he is. He, he is love. God doesn't have love for you. He is love for you. And God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. See, it's a past tense. He chose before you were even born to love you with an everlasting love. And then th this is great news. I am the Lord thy God who changes not. That's what he says. So he's set his mind to love you, and he's never going to change his mind. He's always going to love you. But here's the second part of that verse. I am the Lord thy God who changes not, lest I consume you. Because God's like, see, if I change my mind... I had to decide I loved you ahead of time because if I'm looking at what's going on, I might have consumed you. So God's like, nope, I'm going to never change. And because God never changes, we can. If he was a moving target, that would be a problem. But we need to be settled in his love for us. His mercy is new every morning. It is a reset. God who gave his one and only begotten son is not on the sidelines of your life looking for a reason to reject you. You are the one that accuses yourself. The enemy is the one who accuses you. But often we do such a great job ourselves, he doesn't need to even say anything. So God is saying, I love you very much. It's not he tolerates you. And have put his hand on you for something special. When the message we preach came to you, it wasn't just words, something happened in you. The Holy Spirit puts steel in your convictions. What's a conviction? What's a conviction? Well, we used to go to the Word of God to get our core beliefs. And our core beliefs are our convictions. And our convictions then, in turn, formed our opinions. But now we have a culture that opinions forge convictions. We need to flip that around. Because for a long time, the church preached the truth without love. So our culture has responded by preaching love without truth. And so you and I get to live in a time where we're going to have to marry truth and love by living truth and love, first in our own lives, so other people can see that we are Christians because of our love one for another. And then it says you paid the Holy Spirit, stealing steal convictions, what does that mean? Stand up straight. What does it mean? Not be ashamed. Know what we believe and the why we believe it. And it said you paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourselves. And imitating us, you imitated the master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit, taking the trouble with joy and the joy with trouble. Hey, we will have trouble in this world. That's like a promise of God. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So in this world, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. But you were made for this. You were made for this. 
uh, one of my favorite focus examples is from Man of Steel. It actually is a moment where Superman is flashing back to when all of his superpowers came into play. And he's remembering being a young boy in a school classroom and his teacher is asking him a question that he actually knows the answer to, but he is so overwhelmed that he can't answer her because he no longer sees his teacher. He actually sees inside of his teacher. He sees her heart beating. He sees her skeleton. He's overwhelmed by the noise of a clock just ticking. He runs out into the hallway, shuts himself into the closet. They try to get him out. He won't come out, so he calls for his mother. And when his mother shows up, he says, Mom, the world is just too big. And she says to him, then make it smaller. I don't want you to mistake smaller for less. I want you to see smaller as more focused, more focused. What are we doing in our world right now? What are we doing? We pay more attention to strangers than we do to the people in our homes. They are saying right now that in a couple decades, the posture of people is going to look completely different because we are spending so much time bowing our heads down to a world we can hold in our hands. I feel like God is saying to his church, put down that world. Walk outside. Let me enlarge something inside of you that this world is trying to shrink. Look up at the stars and begin to count them if you can. Remember the covenant-keeping God who put each of them in the heavens with his fingertips. That is who we worship. And that is who we are created in the image of. Not something on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is right now. We cannot allow people outside of our home to influence us more than people we have relationships with. But that is exactly what we are doing. We're allowing these people to cause us to be agitated, irritated, divided. This is not what the people of God can live like. We are servants of the Most High God. And it says the servants of the Lord must not strive. We are not to be in strife with one another. We have to focus in. So we got to stop conforming to the world. And then 2 Peter 3.1 says, My dear friends, this is now the second time I've written to you both letters reminders to hold your minds in a state of undistracted attention. See, Peter is saying, guys, there's some urgency here. I need you to focus. I need you to understand you are responsible for holding your mind. But when you're entertained for so long, it gets hard to hold your mind in a state of undistracted attention. It gets hard to focus because you've gotten used to being dumbed down. You know, I went to school in Indiana and was not the best in certain topics. And part of that was because I was afraid. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to understand it. And I loved geometry, but when I got to trigonometry, I started like freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, this is too hard. I'm not gonna be able to get this. And I remember I had to actually start saying to myself, you can understand this. I began to say, you're going to listen, believing you can learn. You're going to pay attention to what's being said rather than panicking that you won't be able to retain it. I wasn't a Christian or back then I would have said the Holy Spirit's going to drop into my spirit what I need to hear. See, I would rather you read the word of God and read one verse and live it than read 25 chapters and live none of them because you weren't focused. See, when we focus, we read the word of God and we say, if this is true, how does that apply to me? Listen, I am ADD. I have to put myself in corners with headphones on because if anything else sounds more enticing or exciting, I will take off my headphones, close my laptop, and go and run up. My husband is highly disciplined, highly organized. So I've had to learn to limit what I see so that I can focus. Your inability to connect with everything coming your way is not a failure. It is a fail-safe you are not created to be overwhelmed and overstimulated. 
You are created to be the gatekeeper of your life, and you have every right to edit your life. But we tend to get distracted and argumentative around the things that are peripheral or non-essential. So I'm going to kind of just expose some of these essentials and non-essentials so that you won't get caught up in arguing about things that maybe aren't even important. So my first one, non-essential, is whether women should preach or not. And I'm not saying that to be self-serving. I'm saying that because the essential is that Christ is preached. It's not the gender of who's preaching or the age of who is preaching or the education of who is preaching. It is what are they preaching? Are they preaching Christ? Are they preaching transformation and resurrection? So God is really clear that in the last days, it's different than the first days. He says in Acts 2.17, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he says, and your sons, which everybody's okay with that, and your daughters will prophesy. Then he goes on and he talks about visions and dreams. And then he says, on my men servants and my maid servants. How many of you know this is an all hands on deck time? We don't need to be arguing like, hey, I don't know how I feel. You know what? It doesn't matter. If God says, men servants and maid servants, talk to him about it. Okay. So non-essential, how we worship. A couple months ago, I was at a church that does not believe in musical instruments. I mean, they know they exist. They're not like aliens, but they don't use them. They think it's wrong to use them. I also had the privilege of going on a Bethel music tour. I went to Um, For 14 days, I lived on a bus. I think they were like, hey, let's just take a token grandmother. And so I went to 12 cities, and there was lights, and there was smoke, and there was worship, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing. That's style. Other people only like hymns. That's style. Style of worship is a non-essential. Worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth, that is the essential. So the style can vary, but who and, and how Spirit and truth, that is the essential. Non-essential, how we look. How we look. You guys, everybody on Instagram, how we look. I mean, every once in a while, I just go, okay, y'all, this is me with a filter. This is me without a filter. Because I need to remind myself, wait, no, you, you don't look like that in real life. I'm like, why, why did I look so bad? Oh, because you got used to seeing yourself in a filter. Okay, non-essential, how I look to other people. Essential, how I live. How I live says it here. You watched how we lived among you. Listen, we don't have the right to be rude as Christians. We don't have the right to make stupid excuses like, I'm just saved, not perfect. That's not what the Bible says. It says, be you perfect. Now we're being perfected. So what I've learned is I just have to own my mistakes. And when I own my mistakes, instead of making excuses, people are okay with that. If I say, you know what, I was completely out of line, they actually have more respect for me than if I say, well, I'm just having a bad day and I'm not perfect. Well, you know, they actually sometimes in the world know what we're supposed to act like more than we know. And that's not the way it should be. So how we live. Our achievements. Our achievements are a non-essential. I have a book right here. It's called Without Rival. It's a New York Times bestselling book. Do you know what happens when you have a New York Times bestselling book? Absolutely nothing absolutely nothing. Yeah, I didn't get a phone call. I didn't get an email. I didn't get a certificate. I didn't get money. I was sound asleep in my bed when in about 1130 at night, I heard pound, pound, pound on my board. Immediately, mom, adrenaline rush. I'm like, somebody's hurt. I jump out of my bed. I open the door. There's two of my sons who are now men standing in boxer briefs. I'm like, why? Why am I seeing this? Why? And they're like, mom, guess what? You're a New York Times bestselling author. I'm like, what? They pick me up, jump up and down with me, throw me on top of my husband, who is like, what is going on? And leave the room. That's it. That's it. I'm like, what just happened? I mean, it took me an hour and a half to go to sleep because I was like, okay, no one's injured. Everybody's okay. I call my publisher the next morning. I'm like, hey, uh, two boxer brief men came to my bedroom door, told me I'm a New York Times bestselling author. Is that true? And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, you are. That's it. That's it. Five of you might be New York Times and you just didn't have anybody to knock on your door in the middle of the night and wake you up. I don't know. But when I get to heaven, do you think Jesus is going to say, well done, Lisa. I'm so proud of the books you sold. 
No. No, he doesn't care about the books I sell. He cares about the books I sow. Because heaven has a very different economic system than this world has. We give, and the more we give, the more our world is enlarged. The world says, hoard, hoard, shoot your neighbor if they need food. That's what, that's what the world, like, guard everything you got. That's not, that's not the kingdom. That's fear. That's fear. And the opposing force to fear is love. So we need to be a people who are generous with our words, generous with our actions, generous with our gifts, generous with our talents, generous with our time, generous with our money. Because we live in a world right now that is divided and generosity multiplies. And one of the greatest way to fight division is to multiply. We can't just say, oh, you shouldn't be divided. We actually have to have a counter spirit to that. So our achievements, that God doesn't care about how we love. He cares about that. Our opinions, you guys, as a half Sicilian, part Apache Indian, British person, I have amazing opinions. I offer them to God quite regularly. He never, ever uses them. I'm like, I have an opinion about this matter. I bring them to my husband. I'm like, I have an opinion about this. I feel strongly about this. And John will be like, yeah, but what does the word of God say? Can we just all acknowledge this is a good opinion? John's like, nope, we're not going to acknowledge that. I type it out and think if I could just post this on my Instagram or on Twitter, I could just give my opinion to everybody. I read it. I admire it for 20 seconds. And then I delete it. Because God is saying, Lisa, I know that you're surprised. But your opinions are not essential. I'm like, what? It's not essential? Yeah, it's not essential. But the truth is. And the truth is not a what, the truth is a who. The truth is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not my truth, because my truth can change. Like my truth is I have five grandkids, and I hope in 10 years I have 15. So that's going to change according to time and my children's sexual activities. But that's not what truth does. Truth doesn't change according to my kids' sexual activities or time. Truth is a rock, and it does not move. Truth is eternal and immovable. So my opinions, I'd love to share some with you, but Jesus won't let me, versus the truth. Our identity and culture. Guys, guys, hey, for a teeny, teeny bit, we were kind of cool. We're not going to be cool anymore. We're not going to be cool anymore. I don't know why we thought that the world was going to love us. I don't know why we thought that. They're not. They're not. Now, I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying be mean. But I am going to say that the culture is going more and more towards darkness. And we're supposed to be going more and more towards light. And it said they hated Jesus. So, of course, they're going to hate you. And this is a question I think we all have to have in front of us. Do we want to be popular, which means trendy and common? Or do we want to be influential? which means powerful. We are going to have to put that in front of us. And every post, every comment, every interaction, we got to say, is it, is it driven by the fear of man, which would drive me to popularity? Or is it driven by the fear of the Lord, which would drive me to a place of influence? Because John the Baptist was great in the eyes of God. And we're going to have to make a decision that we're going to want to be great in the eyes of God, even if it means we lose our heads. You know, the early church loved it. If they got beaten or arrested, they thought that was amazing. They considered it an honor to be martyred. We're like totally hiding from everything, acting like this world is our home. This world is not our home. We are citizens of another place and this world is not kind to its inhabitants. We are the ones that are supposed to show kindness to the people and let them know that this world is not their home. And they are just passing through because we have an identity in Christ. Not essential what we have. Essential what we give. What we give. 
what we give, that's what's essential. Unity of doctrine. Unity of doctrine is what most of the church argues about. We got this group over here that believes that all the gifts have passed away. Then we have this church, this group over here that believes one way. This group over here that believes another way. We got the people with the music, different things. Unity of doctrine, that's never going to happen. Do you know my husband and I don't even have unity of doctrine? Do you know my husband and I both disagree about the rapture? I took an entire college course on the rapture. He has not. So I have a different idea about the rapture than he has. But do you know that we are in unity of faith? We have called to unity of faith, not unity of doctrine. Doctrines are things that people add. We have to have united faith that we believe in God our Father, that we believe that Jesus was his one and only begotten son, born of a virgin, that we believe that the Holy Spirit is our comfort and our counselor, that we believe that God wants to make all of us the answer to Jesus' last prayer, and that is that we would be one. And one does not mean same. One means one focus. My husband and I are one. We are not same. It's our differences that unite us. We have to be one, not same. And I think we need to have that conversation in our mind, how we alienate people that don't look at things the same way we look at things and say, but what can I be one with them on? Because this world is trying to divide the church. So unity of faith is what we need to be united on. Okay, what culture says, non-essential. What scripture says, that is the essential. What others do, oh my gosh, we are a church that is so big about flipping everybody else's table, talking about what everybody else isn't doing right, not doing enough of. So I was a token old person a couple weeks ago at a Next Gen Summit, and all the young millennials and Gen Zs were talking about flipping tables. And so I got to go last. It was awesome with another guy that also was in my age range. We both had gray hair. And... Um, I said, listen, guys, I love millennials and Gen Zs, but y'all need to be careful about criticizing when you've never constructed. You guys are deconstructing, but you've never built anything. It's easy to be a critic, but it's hard to be a contractor. And we need to have people that come alongside and add value rather than pull up the skirt on the bride of Jesus and say, look at her nakedness. Jesus says he washes his bride with the water of the word, not exposing her with scandal and gossip. And as far as flipping tables, Jesus could flip that table because it was his table to flip. Flip your own table. We all have things that we've set up in our lives that God would be more than happy to help us flip. Anything that we've built or established or laid things upon that should not be on there. Let's let God flip it. But try to go over to your neighbor's house and flip their table and see how they're going to feel about that. They are not going to hear anything that you have to say. We need to start with ourselves. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their own wicked ways. Not turn to everybody else. Turn from their own wicked ways. God gives us this promise. He will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. This land is so broken. It needs a healing. And God is the only one that will be able to bring that healing to our land. But it will not start until his people begin to humble themselves, not broadcast that they're praying, not take photos. Hey, look at us. We're all so holy and we're all praying. How about we get some secrets place? warfare going on? How about we don't be like the Pharisees who made big shows of their prayer? Now, I, I don't want to like be totally negative on that because I think it's great when, when people gather and pray, but I think we need to do both. Not just a good show for Instagram. Let's do both. Non-essential, how much we study. Essential, how much we live. Non-essential, how we dress. Essential, how we clothe the naked. God is going to look at each and every one of us and ask us what we did with what we have. He's not going to ask you to judge what other people did with what they have. 
He's going to ask you, but what about you? Each and every one of us has been given a talent and a gift from God. And we need to decide, are we going to bury it and give it back to him the same way he gave it to us and be called wicked, lazy servants? Are we going to take what he gave us and to our best ability multiply what he gave us in goodness and in strength and in faith and in hope and in love so that when he comes back, he's like, whoa, I gave you two and you made it four. The kingdom of God happens with multiplication, not with division, not even with addition. So I want to pray a Sicilian Godmother prayer over you guys. Can I get everybody to stand up on their feet? Everybody stand up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I'm going to pray over you because I believe that the Spirit of God is on each and every one of you. I believe that you were hand chosen for this moment. You wouldn't have made it a thousand years ago and you wouldn't make it a thousand years from now. You were woven for this time and this season and the enemy is trying to tell you that you don't have in you what you need to make it, but he is a liar and a deceiver. So in the name of Jesus, I believe you are a people of signs and wonders and miracles. I believe that you will see up close what other generations only saw in the distance, that you will speak out loud and with great boldness what other generations only dared to whisper, that you will lay hold of with your hands what other generations only touched on in prayer, that you are disciples taught of their Lord, and great is your peace in a time of chaos and confusion. May you be light. May you have strategies of heaven. May you prophesy answers where everybody else only sees problems. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, guys. I have a couple books here. I don't, I had, I, I'm not seeing the I Am book. If someone could grab it for me. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Okay. Do I have any millennials or Gen Zs? Wave at me. Okay. All right. So I birthed four millennials. I love them. They actually know that they are created for something more. But we have a little bit of a challenge here. The older people tend to label the very ones that God has called. And so my sons wrote a book of seven I am statements. I am statements like, I am creative. I am holy. I am righteous. I am secure. I am called. I am confident. And I am loved. I believe these kind of confessions and statements need to be declared over the millennials and the Gen Zs. Which one of you wants this book? Okay, come on. Can you hand it to her? She's in the white sweater. Thank you so much. All right, over here, do I have any millennials? Okay, all right. Do I, I want to give it to a guy. I want to give it to a guy. Sorry. Guy, anybody want? Come on up. Come here, right here. And the hat turned back. There we go. All right. You know, we're not what we do. We're what we leave behind. My sons, all four of them, love God with all of their heart, and they are better people than John and I. And I believe that when John and I first got born again, and we sat in a little Chinese restaurant, splitting an order of mushu chicken, and writing on a napkin, things that we dreamed, things that we would actually say, we're going we're gonna to actually empower the people of the nation. Rather than send missionaries over, we're going to make the people of that culture missions to their culture. We wrote things in our early 20s that we are now seeing in our early 60s. I want you to understand that when the people that fear God speak to one another, God listens in. That's what the book of Malachi says. And he actually takes note. I think he was like, look at these crazy people. He was admiring John's major mustache because that's what you did in the early 80s. But he was like, they're awkward. They're uncomfortable. They became Christians in the early 80s, which was a weird time to become a Christian. He said, but there's something on them that I can bless. Do you know why God chose Abraham? Anybody want to guess why God chose Abraham? What do you think? Over here, front row, you guys. You guys are not, you're all scared of me. What do you think? Okay, you got cool gray hair. What do you think? Why did God choose Abraham? He, he was unlikely. Yep. Yeah, he had no kids. Yeah, he had no kids. He uh, was told not to take anybody with him. He's like, no, I think I'm going to take a lot. Okay. 
He was a son of an idol worshiper. Do you know that? But it says in Genesis 18 that God knew that Abraham would teach his children God's ways. Also, because he was unlikely, the book of Romans says that God made somebody out of nobody. There becomes a time of surrender where we say, God, I've got no good thing. I don't know what it was like when you got born again, but I got born again at 21 years of age, and I had been a complete heathen. And I said, God, I have nothing to bring you, but I will give you my nothing completely. I did that 40 years ago, and I have never regretted surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And so I have books out there. I have a book called Without Rival on Identity and Purpose. I believe that identity and purpose has been stolen or trying to be stolen from a generation. And if you don't know who you are, you can't discover what you're called to do. So we discover who we are and what we're called to do in the presence of God. Then I've got a book out there called Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions. I have a devotion out there called Strong. Strong. How many of you know that strong is not wrong? God is strong and he wants you strong. That's what it says in Ephesians. So he's given us all these weapons. But how do we also know that wrong is not strong? Anger, rage, slander, canceling people, bullying people. That is not strong. That's weakness. Strong people lift one another. And so I have that out there. And then the last one I've got is Godmothers. See, I believe that from zero to 30, you're learning and growing. And 30 to 60, you're building and establishing. You're always going to be learning, but building and establishing. And then 60 on, you're imparting. You turn to the generations behind you, and you begin to impart. So this was my impartation book. I have so many people that say, can you tell me how you did parenting? Can you tell me how you did motherhood? Can you tell me how you did ministry? Don't ask me. I wrote it all down, and there is a free course in, in uh, the books. that all have like a thing where you can watch all the courses for free. I make way more sense in uh, writing. But I want you to know, you guys have a gift. And Pastor Mel and Pastor Kim. God sent a couple to this area to actually remind you of who you are. To say that there was a gift of God that had been seated in you since the foundations of the earth. That God is calling this area by name. That this little hidden space is a holy space. That God wants to do something that will astound you. But you have to lean into that. I hope you know that I get to travel and be with tons and tons of different ministers. And and that's an incredible privilege and honor. But I sat at the dinner table with your pastors last night. And they are humble. And they are hungry. And they are teachable. And they love you guys. So treasure them in Jesus' name. God bless you.